0: Thank you, brother. Morning, church. Good to see everybody here. If you're a guest with us, my name's Kelly. Hope you feel quickly at home here at Glenelg Bible Church. Um, We'd ask our guests to not leave empty-handed. We'd love to give you a gift. It's a little book I've written titled Following Jesus. Talks about our mission as a church. Simply put, helping people follow Jesus as our mission. And this book talks about our aims, how we believe we get that done, what does it mean to make disciples. There's some of my own story in this book. Love you to have a copy. You can pick it up in the Welcome Center, just out through the foyer, into the Welcome Center. And it's there at the Welcome booth. And if you had questions about who we are as a community of faith, someone's at the booth. They do their best to answer your questions. And then everybody's invited into what I like to call the donut room after service. Uh, Have a donut, some coffee, hang out together. Members, if you see people hanging out alone, make sure you introduce yourselves to them. We were all new at one time. It takes a lot of courage to visit a new place of worship, so let's be welcoming. Let's go out of our way to pursue those folks. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 14 this morning. Turn with me there in your copy of the scripture. We're going to make our way through the second part of this chapter, Deuteronomy 14. I'm going to begin in verse 22. Read through 29. Moses writes, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. So he's talking about the tithe, 10%. Set aside a tenth. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks, eat it in the presence of the Lord your God. Where? At the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. Why? So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Is there a connection between how we handle our money and our obedience? Moses seems to think so so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Verse 24, but if that place is too distant and you've been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord chose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver, once you've arrived there, to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. There's a party in view here, a great party. Verse 27, do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance Of their own at the end of every three years bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns in other words don't travel with it to the place where he's put his name no keep it locally your 10% share why verse 29 so that the Levites again who have no allotment or inheritance of their own and the foreigners the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. We'll pause there this morning. We're, if you're joining us for the first time, we we'll are making our way slowly through the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy's account of God preparing Israel to enter the promised land. At this point in the narrative, as they're receiving the instructions of Moses, these instructions on tithing, they're standing on the banks of the Jordan looking over into the promised land, so to speak. They're getting ready to enter this vast inheritance. Up to this point, they had wandered in the wilderness for the last 40 years, leaving Egypt as slaves, formally, with just the shoes on their feet and the shirt on their back, and then into the wilderness for 40 years. And while God certainly provided for them in the wilderness, right? Manna every morning, these bread-like wafers that they'd find out on the desert floor and they'd collect and eat as well as quail that they could easily catch and have. And then in Deuteronomy 8, and I think also in 28, we, uh, Moses notes that uh, during their wanderings, their clothes never wore out and their shoes never wore out. In other words, God sustained them, uh, giving them food and providing for them all the physical needs they needed as they wandered in the wilderness. But now they're moving from explorers wandering aimlessly because of their disobedience, mind you, from explorers of the wilderness to settlers in a land, their land. They're moving from an existence that could be best described as perpetual camping to city building which means they're going to go from poverty and subsistence living to having an opportunity to create wealth. They're about to receive as their inheritance a land described as flowing with milk and honey, a place of abundant resource. They're about to hit the jackpot. They're going from camping and collecting their food into a land that's spacious and now it's going to be their own. And they could potentially have so much produce that they can't even carry 10% of it to wherever the tabernacle is or Jerusalem where the temple is located. They'll have so much abundance, they're going to have to sell what they have, trade it for silver so that they can get to the place of worship. Real wealth is ahead for them. They're gonna move into farming. They're gonna move into growing uh, herds and flocks. Moses is here giving them instructions on what to do as a nation that's soon to be wealthy. God was providing the promised land for them by which their physical needs would be met and they were to honor him as their provider with 10%. It's easy for us to think that we provide for ourselves because we, we send out our resumes and we go to the interviews and we do our best to answer to the questions and we get up daily and we go to work and we completed school so that we could have certain competencies so that we could keep the jobs that we like. It's easy for us to think that we're providing for ourselves. Biblically, it's really clear, James 1:17. every good gift comes down from heaven above. Every good gift. In fact, I'd encourage you this week, make a list of the things you're thankful for. What good gifts has God given you? I'd encourage you to exercise thankfulness because for me, sin enters my life on the heels of thanklessness. As I grow thankless, That's when my temptation increases. It's easy for us to think we create the wealth, that we get our own jobs. Every good gift comes down from our Heavenly Father, including the jobs, the competency to acquire the job, keep the job, the industry needed to get up daily and get to our jobs, the health needed to to go to work, All this comes from our Father. Interestingly, although this section begins with the directive, set aside a tenth of your produce annually, the balance of this section provides directions on how to throw a huge party. The Israelites are to carry the tithe to the place that God tells them, that place designated for worship. Uh, Initially, it was the tabernacle, and then as... uh, they settle in Jerusalem as the capital city under David then Solomon, then the temple would be built and that would be the place. And if they can't physically carry a tenth of their produce, they're to carry it in silver and then buy what they need to throw a sufficient party once they get there. They're to rejoice in God's provision for them. Here are the party instructions. Moses is real clear on what the menu is. It's what you've grown in grain It's what you've collected in grapes and you have in new wine. It's olive oil. It's the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And then if you can't get those there because he's been so abundantly good to you, then once you get there, buy cattle and sheep. He says twice, buy whatever you want for the party. And then he gives directions on the host. Make no mistake, in whose presence we gather as God's people, we do not gather in the name of Glen and Bible Church this morning. No, we, we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And they were to gather. He's the host in the presence of the Lord and the place, they're to go to the place that He, he directs them, the place where the tabernacle will be and then the temple and the purpose. Don't miss this, folks. The purpose they're to give, the purpose they're to travel, the purpose that, for which they're to rejoice is so they learn to revere. And the posture, rejoicing. Eat, be glad, celebrate God's goodness. Basically, God scheduled an annual party to memorialize his goodness to his people and the tithe served as the means to provide that party and to provide for the Levites who would be at the place where he put his name. The Levites were the tribe among Israel's 12 that were designated as to care for the worship activities and the worship space. And they're to share the tent, throw the party, invite the Levites and give the abundance to them. But the party was not all that the tithe was about. It wasn't simply a party for party's sake. It was a party designed to provide for those who lead in worship, the Levites, and those who are vulnerable economically, socially. Foreigners, aliens, the fatherless, widows. It's a party with a purpose. God wants his abundant provision to serve the needs of those who can't meet their own needs. You see, as Israel entered the promised land, each of the 12 tribes of Israel were going to be given an allotment of land. They were to settle there, they would farm, they would raise herds, and they would support the families that couldn't do so. Like the Levites. The Levites would have no allotment of land. It says it parenthetically in this passage twice. The Levites don't receive any land. No, their inheritance is whatever the people provide for the Lord's service. They wait upon the people of God to come and give their 10% and support the ministries of the worship space. So it's to provide for the Levites because they don't get an allotment of land. They have no means for creating wealth on their own. But then it's also to provide, verse 29, Every third year, they don't carry their tithe to the place designated for worship. No, they keep the tithe in their local towns and it goes into storehouses to provide for the Levites locally, as well as foreigners, aliens, fatherless, and the widows. Those that don't have the means to create wealth, the means of production, right? They either don't have land as foreigners or they don't have the capacity to get into the land to glean enough for themselves. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, Ruth and Naomi would fall in this category as they came back to Israel and they had no means to create wealth, and so they glean on the edges of Boaz's field. It's a beautiful story of a a man who kept the law. The tithe was to ensure that those that couldn't create wealth were provided for, and that all of God's people could celebrate God's provision. By God's design, those without the means to produce were cared for. And God's people continue to give today for much the same reason. We give financially to honor God's provision in our lives. His physical as well as spiritual provision for us through faith in Christ. Our mission statement, helping others follow Jesus, is the motive for. It's our goal, it's the aim. We wanna praise God with his care of us, his care of us spiritually, his care of us physically, and so we wanna mobilize, we wanna fund his purposes. We give so that the spiritually needy, as well as the physically vulnerable and marginalized are cared for. We have ministries at Glow and Bible Church that focus on meeting tangible needs for this reason. It's what the care center's all about, once a month. We gather our resources together and we, we bring people into our building. We want to care for them and, and frankly, they care for us in beautiful ways. And we share our resources, giving a tangible demonstration of the abundance of God in our lives. This month, October, we have our coat drive. i will ballpark it, let's say, 800 coats we'll give away for kids that otherwise aren't prepared for Chicagoland winter. We also have a benevolence fund overseen by Pastor John Foster, which helps provide for the budgetary shortfalls of families in our local community. So our our giving at GBC helps fund staff positions and programs that prioritize justice ministries, mercy ministries, and the proclamation of the gospel. Frankly, it's the duplication of these types of programming emphases that we want to see at the Poplar Creek campus in Bartlett. We want to share the love of Christ verbally, giving a, ta- a verbal witness of what God's done for us in Christ, but we also want to show the gospel through hearts that are generous. Now, Israel didn't do it. Sadly, they didn't get it done. Frankly, they hoarded their wealth, and as a result, God's desire for them to celebrate his faithfulness and care for the vulnerable and the marginalized was not experienced in Israel. And the prophet Malachi famously rebuked Israel for their failure to do so. His words, or some of his words, are on the screen. He speaks on God's behalf to Israel. He says, you are under a curse. It's weighty. The whole nation of you. Because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, that food would be shared with the vulnerable and the marginalized. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. So what are we to glean from the directive to Israel to tithe? What are we to glean from Malachi's condemnation, warning, call to repentance? Here's my summary statement, God's people are to celebrate God's provision by funding God's priorities. God's people are to celebrate God's provision by funding his priorities. In the Old Testament context, that meant that Israel was to care for the Levites, the tribe designated as leading in worship, caring for the worship space, as well as the economically uh, vulnerable widows and aliens and foreigners. In our New Testament context, God still has these same priorities. The people of God are to celebrate God's provision in our lives by funding the ministries of the local church, through which God's goodness towards us in Christ is being made known and the needs of the vulnerable and the marginalized are being cared for. On the screen are the Apostle Paul's words to the church in Corinth, and he notes it was the same word directive to the church in Galatia about the collection for the Lord's people. He was taking up a collection to meet the needs. It was a benevolence collection. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. We need not be legalistic about making weekly donations. You can give every other week, you can give monthly, you can give quarterly, but we certainly need to be faithful. We need to be diligent in making regular contributions to our local church fund in order for the proclamation of the gospel and the demonstration of the gospel to go forward. Here are Jesus's words. Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Don't do that. Where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think back on Moses' words. Why were the Israelites to give 10% so that they revered the Lord their God? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why did the Israelites, uh, why were they run out of the land that they were given as an inheritance? Because they did not revere the Lord their God. They missed out on their inheritance. Malachi said, you're you're under a curse, (laughs) the whole nation. There is a direct connection, an inseparable link between our faith and how we use our finances. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. No one can serve two masters, he says. Either you're gonna hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Whom will we serve? You can't have two lords. We store up for ourselves treasure in heaven by funding on earth God's priorities. While it's true, nowhere in the New Testament is the tithe given to the church. In other words, there's no directive to the church to give 10% in the New Testament. It's also true that every example of giving in the New Testament goes far beyond the tithe. Every example of giving in the New Testament goes far beyond the tithe. Jesus applauds the widow who put two small copper coins in the temple treasury. Even though it was all she had, he applauds her for it. He sings her praise not for giving 10% or 12% or 15% or 20%, but for giving 100%. Paul does the same in praise of the Macedonians, who didn't simply give what was expected of them. They didn't simply give what they could afford. Paul actually says they gave beyond their ability to give. Which I don't think means we're to give until we can't pay our bills. I actually don't think that's what it means. I think it means that we're to be very careful not to accumulate bills that prevent us from giving. Generously, sacrificially, we cannot serve two masters. Jesus himself, our savior described money as one of the single largest barriers to our enjoying our inheritance. Our inheritance is an eternity with Christ in heaven. There is no two ways around it. Watching Israel's failure to keep the tithe and they get run out of their inheritance, they forfeit the promised land. And these words that are about to be on the screen from Jesus, they should sober us. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. As arguably the wealthiest church in the history of the world, American evangelicals should take this passage to warning. We have the unenviable task of squeezing each one of us through the eye of a needle. We are comparatively, at a global level, rich. At a historic level, we're rich. For this reason, in the Gospels, you never hear Jesus dismiss the tithe. You never hear him say something like, well, you've heard it said, give a tenth, but I tell you, 2% will do. He never says it. Yet he reframes and redefines the the law all the time. He frankly says, not the least stroke of the law will pass away until everything is fulfilled. In countless times in the New Testament, Jesus says, well, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, if you're even angry with somebody, you've broken the commandment. And you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, don't even look at another person lustfully or you've committed it in your heart. So we nowhere hear him say, you've heard it said give a tenth, but I'm telling you, don't worry too much about it. But for some reason, Christians are prone to believing that because of God's grace shown towards us in Christ, we're free to hoard our wealth. On average, American evangelicals give less than, well, right at 2%. And we are the wealthiest church in the history of the world. And I'm not saying that you buy your way into heaven. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that our giving and our heart towards giving reflects that we realize Christ has purchased us. Inevitably, the question that's often asked is, well, how much do I have to give? And with the words of Christ in mind, that wealthy people must squeeze through the eye of a needle and thank God that what's impossible with man, it's impossible for us to get through the eye of a needle, to get a camel through, and for rich people to get into heaven. But what's impossible with us is possible with God. And so to the question, how much must I give, I'm often tempted, and I feel really nervous saying this, I keep detailed notes on the examples I give. So I've been preaching um, for about 20 years now in this uh, senior pastor. And I keep detailed notes on the examples I've given, the scripture references, the day dates that I use scripture references. I've given this very example before, but I, I feel some trepidation saying it. I don't know why this morning. But I want you to know I don't say this lightly. I don't say this to beat us up. I say it to address, because I feel a burden, that's it. I feel a burden to address one of the largest idols in our community. To the the question, how much do I have to give? I am tempted to answer, well, how risk averse are you? Does the reality of hell and the possibility of spending eternity there scare you a little or just a lot? And you may say to me, well, Kelly, that's crazy. We're saved by grace through faith, apart from anything we do. Exactly. When we ask how much must we give, we're to give everything we have because we are no longer our own. We were bought with a price. Our lives are not our own. I would imagine God said, well, how much of my grace would you like? 2%? Two and a half percent? Three percent? The question we're to ask is, how much more can we give? Paul's very clear in the New Testament. Grow in the grace of giving. He'd read Moses. Give so that you revere the Lord your God. Grow in the grace of giving. There is a... A heart's work that's done a transformative work that's done when we recognize increasingly so that all we have and all we are is the Lord's there's a freedom there in other words we're to stretch our faith and to reduce our standard of living so that we can store up for ourselves treasure in heaven that's what it will take to grow in the grace of giving It is true that we're to give because money is a trap, it's an idol and we get sucked into it and it could thwart our dependence on Christ. But it's also true that we're to give because it's better to give than to receive. There is a unique blessing in giving There is a grace in giving. Grow in the grace of giving. You're in this room this morning because you want more of God's grace in your life. I'm telling you, one of the ways to experience more of the grace of God, to give more of your heart to God, is to invest more of your finances in his priorities. Store up for yourselves, and there your heart will be also. So many times I hear people insist they can't afford to give. According to scripture, we can't afford not to give. And I hear people say, well, I can't afford to give as they buy another pair of shoes or they go out to dinner for a third or fourth time or they plan another vacation or they put an addition on their house and, and there's nothing wrong with buying another pair of shoes. What's wrong is when our purchasing trumps our giving. My point here is that God has priorities. He's got a first things first priority and he's got a 100th thing needs to come 100th priority. God has priorities in how we use our money because he owns us. We are his. The gospel is an invitation to receive new life through faith in Christ, to enjoy the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. And in doing so, we realize we are no longer our own and we are then free. We're free from the burden of consumer society. And we're free to live on mission and to find purpose and increased identity in the the work of God in the world rather than another really nice meal out or another pair of shoes. Let me pray for us. Father, have mercy on us, your people, by opening our minds and hearts to the grace that comes to us as we grow in giving. Do a good work in the days ahead. Help us process the heavy words, the burden, as Francis Finelon said, of a golden-crusted cross that America is carrying. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna close in singing, as we always do in The Bolts. Pam and Steve, I think, are here this morning. Pam Steve, you're good. Great. Pam and Steve will be down front. They'd love to pray with you. Let's st- stand together. We'll sing.